And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program with me, Walter Bingham, bringing you the stories that shaped the Jewish world. It's December 5th, 2023, or the 22nd of Kislev 5784 in the Hebrew calendar. Today I want to talk about several aspects of Israel at war. But first, a word about the center of the world. I'm not referring to any astrophysical location in the universe, nor even at a point in the core of our Earth. It is the place that since the beginning of time has been the focal point at which history began. It is the piece of land to which God directed Abraham to move from Urkastim and the area in which the Jewish people found freedom from Egyptian slavery. It was in 1100 before the Common Era, according to biblical records, that's more than 3,000 years ago, when King Shaul established the first kingdom of the Jewish people in what is today Judea and Samaria. Jewish presence in these areas was strong. It was under King David that Jerusalem became the center of the Jewish world. King Solomon built the temple, the Babylonians, envious of Jewish success, attacked, and the Jewish people went through trying times. Following the destruction of the second temple in the year 70 of the Common Era, the Jewish presence in the Holy Land fell apart. Now, centuries later, by the grace of God, we are back and in strength. However, Israel is once again at war, but not with a nation-state, but with the Hamas terrorists in Gaza, who mounted a horrific and cruel attack on our villages near the border on October 7th this year. They murdered and they plundered and they kidnapped about 240 of our people, some as young as a few months. The temporary pause during which Hamas terrorists have released some of the hostages has ended and our soldiers are again engaged in heavy battles in Gaza and in the defense of our northern borders. Terrorists who identify with Hamas have a few days ago resumed their killing and murdered three people at a bus stop in Jerusalem. There was also a car ramming in the Jordan Valley. Skirmishes with terrorists in Judea and Samaria are a daily occurrence because they have not yet learned that their action strengthens the resolve of our people to demand Israeli sovereignty over the area and never to allow an independent foreign state there. Of course, our other main concern are the hostages held by terrorists in Gaza. Campaigns and demonstrations initiated by their families are pressuring the government to make more concessions to the enemy. And although we have learned from the Gilad Shalit prisoner exchange, we had still agreed to concede far greater benefits to the enemy by releasing more convicted terrorists than the number of hostages being returned or even to cease observation flights over Gaza during the pause. 
In Israel's regular communiques, it is very important to note what is not mentioned. We have no information if all hostages in terrorist hands are alive. Having said all that, I concur with the statement released by the sovereignty movement to pause the fighting is a twisted sense of ethics that prevents victory and becomes a tool for the terrorists to use. Avigdor Lieberman, head of the Israel Betenu party, said, and I quote, The Israeli government must not agree to extend ceasefire with the Hamas terrorists without reaching the goals of the war. He listed the objectives as one, release of all the hostages, two, eliminating Hamas and their leaders in Israel and abroad. Not one of them should die a natural death. Three, complete destruction of all terror infrastructure within the Strip. And four, throwing Hezbollah back behind the Litani River in accordance with Resolutions 1701 of the UN Security Council. And now I want to read you an excerpt of what Professor Robert Auman, a winner of the Nobel Prize and the Israel Prize for Economic Sciences, told Israel National News, quote, The media campaign is raising the price of our hostages. The people of Gaza are not innocent bystanders, but a part of the circumstances that allowed Hamas to come to power. Large numbers of Gazan civilians followed the terrorists into our villages on October the 7th to loot and they even took hostages. We pulled out of Gaza in 2005 and left them complete independence to do as they thought fit. We even took our dead. They could have chosen peaceful coexistence. Instead, the population of Gaza chose to elevate Hamas to positions of power. We cannot ignore that, although we do not at any time target civilians. It is important that people in Tel Aviv, who call the residents of Judea and Samaria messianic stargazers, understand that the people in Judea and Samaria are protecting them, legitimizing the army's presence there and preventing the same kind of massacre we saw in the Gaza region from happening in central Israel. The desire to see the hostages returned safely is understandable, and I'm glad that I'm not in the position of being the father or grandfather of one of the hostages, said Alman. I embrace them and totally understand them. However, the noise being made in Israel on this matter is negative. Outside of Israel, it is good. But here it says to Hamas that we care about those things and brings up the price that we have to pay. It may actually bring the price too high for us to pay, and we will never get them back, and the campaign will have backfired. Indeed, it already has, said Auman. He is right. Reports are circulating that Hamas is prepared to release all the hostages if we empty our prisons of the thousands of the terrorist prisoners. Having said all that, 
on the one hand, the return of any Israeli prisoners at any price has always been a high priority, but Israel has never been in a situation comparable to today, when 150 hostages are still in Hamas' hands and are used as bargaining chips for a break in Israel's offensive. On the other hand, Israel has repeatedly stated to crush Hamas in the Gaza Strip beyond any possibility of another terrorist regime ever to rule Gaza again. That presents a painful dilemma, cleverly exploited by the Hamas terrorists. For all of us, a rational decision based on a cost-benefit analysis that serves to the advantage of our country as a whole is extremely difficult to accept. While we value every life, by first continuing the task to eradicate the whole terrorist infrastructure in Gaza, we will prevent not only another October 7, but also continuing rocket barrages, incendiary balloons and terrorist incursions. They are a risk to life as well as damage to the economy. No country can endure that terror forever. A government statement that we have the Hamas leaders abroad in our crosshairs should be sufficient reason to safeguard the hostages until the IDF can free them. The war must go on. We already lost the strategic advantage that we gained with the loss of almost 60 of our brave IDF. Did they give their lives in vain? We cannot afford any more pauses. Continuing now from where we left off will already be much harder. But with the help of the Almighty, we shall succeed. During all that time, Jerusalem has been relatively quiet. One notices that a larger than usual proportion of the population are older than 40, because our youth are protecting us in the theatres of war. During this time, Jerusalem is hosting our brothers and sisters who have lost their homes on October the 7th and families who had to move to safety from the northern borders of our country. Many have arrived with minimum possessions. At times like this, the whole country is like one family. Throughout the center of Israel, and of course also in Jerusalem, there are places to which the population brings some of their best clothing as well as other articles to provide for the evacuees who go there to pick up what they need. Our women are working like beavers to sort the articles, some are brand new, and to meet with those who come to choose what they need. They evacuated during the hot weather and don't know when they will return to their homes in the north. Some who are from the villages in the south do not even have a home to go to. Now winter is setting in and temperatures are dropping. Among the many centers where evacuees can pick up the things they need is the Chabad of Talbier Boutique Giving Center under the auspices of Diane Rafaeli and Robertson Hani Kanterman. And what I see is mind-boggling. There is clothing for adults and children in all sizes. 
And now, of course, the winter is coming, and so there is very much warm clothing to choose from. I'm being shown round by Sonia, who volunteers here, to show me some of the things that are on offer here in this very large area. What we do here is under the direction of Rebbe Snachani Kanterman of the Chabad of Talbiyeh. We have every conceivable size and uh, requirement that most people need coming, whether it's the north, the south, part of the country where they've had to evacuate from. And we see this as a comfort zone, as a, almost a place of refuge. Most things vary also between absolutely brand new and almost new. And we do go through everything to make sure that we don't give people real old hand-me-downs and torn clothes or worn out or anything like that. So it's only really decent stock that we take in for people because after all, if you don't want it, what's the reason you're giving it away? And one has to be respectful and give them nice items and not make them feel like a bunch of refugees, which of course they're not. They are evacuees, but... We're all in Israel together here. So over here we have gentlemen's clothing, jackets, shirts and jumpers and different materials because some people really do feel the cold in Jerusalem. Even if they know about the winter, haven't experienced Jerusalem's winter. It's pretty cold for a lot of people, especially from down south. It's all wonderfully organized. All the items are separated on hangers, on rails on racks so you can easily choose and it's all in excellent condition. We try and arrange everything in reasonable size order, not 100% perfect but we do our best and we're constantly resorting and tidying up after the various visits. Sometimes it's extremely busy but we try and bring it back to a place where it looks as though they're walking into a mini department store in effect. Then there's another section which is all ladies items. Blouses, dresses, Shabbos and Simchas, clothes, skirts, and then we have a table with particularly nice, rather boutique-looking things to take. And then we have handbags, shoes, boots. Everything is in really nice condition and for the winter. Can these evacuees come and take as much as they like? Yes, second-hand clothing specifically. We do have a new section as well. We need a lot of help with that. We have wonderful donations from the United States, United Kingdom, where people bring us suitcase full of brand new jackets and coats particularly because that's what we need the most. But donations are much appreciated and very helpful. So the people who go and have shopped for us know exactly what we're looking for. So we get precisely sizes or the types of clothing we need and that the people are asking for. We have clothing for babies, starting from newborns all the way through to toddlers. I see bedding. There is even a microwave here that somebody can choose. And then there are tables uh, with children's games and toys, very important, and children's books and children's clothes of every age. Uh, this really has to be seen to be, be <laughs> to be believed. What wonderful chesed. Even packets of diapers of all sizes are on display. Besides all that, they endeavor to provide both physical and mental outlets and activities to help our wonderful people to find an occasional corner of relaxation and a space for normality in their otherwise rather abnormal lives at this time. This is done by weekly activities such as programs for approximately 200 children ages 5 to 13, or a gun for some tiny tots, a zumba class for women, a challebake 
every Thursday. They arranged daily catered meals for about a hundred people and, of course, the weekly Shabbat food, which includes two meals every week for up to 300 people. All these are opportunities for your sponsorship, which is very much needed. In addition to all that, they organize the annual Hanukkah lighting program at the fashionable Mamilla Mall in Jerusalem, where they honor a different group every night, such as special needs children or brothers and sisters in the IDF and other good causes. All this needs funding and sponsorship. Please help them to carry on this very much needed work. To donate, go to jgive.com and then search for Chabad of Talbiyeh, that's T-A-L-B-I-Y-E, and mention that you heard it on this program. All of your donations are tax-deductible in three different currencies. Thank you. Today, Jerusalem is the capital of the State of Israel with all the advantages of a modern, fast-spreading city. But the advance of technology and the growth of the population bring with it new and unforeseen problems. One of the necessities are means of transport. Roads built for earlier times are no longer suitable to cope with today's traffic and the volume of cars exceeds their capacity, resulting in frequently blocked parts of the city. Like in most Western countries, Jerusalem has opted to build a light rail network, and its construction adds to the traffic density. More people have more cars, and there is not enough space in the city. Until relatively recently, Jerusalem had many open car parks, conveniently spaced and available at a small fee. To finance the necessary development of Jerusalem's infrastructure, the municipality was looking for sources of finance. They found the answer in issuing planning permissions for high-rise luxury residential tower blocks on almost every car park in the city. Whilst the resulting apartments generate high taxes, their buildings take up the city's parking spaces. To ease traffic flow, parking must be limited and drivers get frustrated. To load or discharge their goods, delivery trucks park partially on the sidewalk. This invariably blocks the free passage for pedestrians, baby carriages, wheelchairs or invalid vehicles and often necessitates their using the traffic-laden carriageways. It also damages the surface of the sidewalk, causing further inconvenience. But that's not all. Private motorists with nowhere to park also use the pedestrian path to park their cars without consideration for anyone. Another plague for Jerusalem's pedestrians is the proliferation of electric bicycles and scooters that dominate the sidewalks at high speeds without care for those for whom they were constructed. But what preventative control can one expect when even police vehicles break the law by illegal parking while their drivers go shopping? Contrary to the view of many, Jerusalem has a well-developed and efficient public transport system. 
The bus network is constantly expanding and the light rail operates as frequently as safety permits. Many private motorists use their cars just to go to their place of work and back. To convince them that public transport is the answer to their frustration in traffic is to attack their wallets. A much enlarged core of traffic wardens, additional cameras and increased fines would surely have the desired effect. Another cause for regular traffic blocks are the 4x4s parked illegally outside schools to await their children. That could be eliminated by a couple of school buses. And finally on this subject, in the relatively narrow one-way city centre streets, parking should only be allowed on one side of the road and on alternating sides to relieve inconvenience to residents. That would allow for two traffic lanes. In an interview with Neil Barkat when he was mayor of Jerusalem, I asked why he gives permission for luxury tower blocks to be built when their apartments are purchased by wealthy foreigners as second homes and for most of the year are unoccupied, instead of housing for those who work in the city. At the same time, you repeatedly asked university graduates to settle in Jerusalem. He suggested that those apartments should be rented to students. Would luxury furnished homes be rented to students? Has he forgotten how little most students maintain their homes? In any case, those owners do not need the income and want their places to be available when they care to visit. I end with a prayer that this war will not cost any more Jewish lives and that we shall successfully defeat Hamas' terrorist enemy. At this time it's important to remember our elderly, particularly in Israel, where sirens may go off at any moment and they will need help. So please look after your elderly neighbor. Thank you. So until we meet again, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a safe week wherever you are. Goodbye.